0: Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, we're going to read God's word, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive into it. We're going to talk about healing this morning, and um, we're going to see what the Holy Spirit desires to do. But let's begin with the word, um, or with reading God's word. This is God's word, and it says, verse 11, While he, speaking of the lame man who was healed, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded. Everyone say, astounded. They ran together to them in the portico, portico called Solomon's, Solomon's porch. Verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, and I love this. Why do you wonder? Everyone say wonder. Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Verse 15. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Everyone say strong. Strong. He has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, we come before you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your presence. We thank you for this ability to gather together and to worship you. God, we thank you that you are the God who moves in mighty ways. Jesus, we thank you also that you are a God who not only heals, but a God who enters into the suffering of those who have not yet experienced healing. We thank you that you are a God who sympathizes. We thank you that you are a God who understands. And Jesus, we welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in the demonstration of your power and through your word. Lord, that you would make your word applicable and alive and living to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just melt our hearts, that we'd be receptive to you. Jesus, I pray for those in this room that that are in need of healing. God, I pray for healing this morning. God, I pray for those that are in need of just your comfort in your presence. God, I pray that you would comfort them. I pray for those that are doubting, Lord, in your power. Jesus, I pray that you would persuade them and convince them by the power of your word. That you are mighty, that you are true, and that you are able. Jesus, we pray that you would move, that you would be among us this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. At the age of 15, my mother had twins, okay? My mother had twins when I was 15 years old, Tavi and Trax, and... They were just adorable. My goodness. I was in love as a 15 year old. I just thought they were the cutest things ever. And you're at that age where, you know, you get to, you get to help out like a lot, you know? And I loved it. I actually really, really enjoyed, loved changing their diapers, spending time with them, making them laugh. They're the cutest things ever. And, um, but something unfortunate began to happen. My, my brother, Trax, he wasn't growing at all. He wasn't growing and, and his health was getting really bad and it was really, really scary. And we took him to the doctors and he was admitted into the hospital for failure to thrive. Um, there were some complications we could tell that were going on with his body. He wasn't able to hold food in and it was really quite a scary experience. And they began to run tests on him and experiments on him. And about a weekend they found out that we, he was diagnosed with a genetic mutation known as cystic fibrosis. Now, if you don't know what CF or cystic fibrosis is, it, it's a genetic mutation that affects the mucus within your body. And so there's mucus that helps our airways and our digestive system within our bodies to help move things along. And, and his mucus was extremely, extremely, extremely thick. And so it's very difficult on the lungs because you're literally, you're, you're, you're like almost suffocating in your lungs. And it's it's very dangerous for the digestive system because things can't be absorbed properly. And so at two weeks old, he was, or really three weeks old, he was diagnosed with CF. And and our family was heartbroken. We were scared. We had no idea what was going on. We had no idea what to expect. Terminal illness was sort of new to our family, and we didn't know how to go about this. The doctors were telling us that on average, um, children who are diagnosed with CF, they don't live past 30 years old. And that idea, that thought that he wasn't, probably was not going to be able to have kids And that he would not live past 30 years old was heartbreaking for my family and I. My mom at the time, she was like into the whole like mom blogging thing. Do you remember that when mom blogging was a thing? She was into the whole mom blogging thing and she had an Instagram. And there was this huge thing that started. It was called Pray for Tracks. And people all over the world were praying for my little brother. Uh, this one lady in Australia, she started actually a necklace company that's still around today. Where there's necklaces with these little toys that were made. And people were supporting and just praying for him. And the good news is he's still alive. He's still alive. He's doing well. He's 10 years old. He's pretty healthy. But the reality is, is that he's still sick. He's still incredibly sick. Every time he gets sick, his his immune system is compromised. Every single day he has to do different treatments and he has to take different medicine. and, And it's a constant reminder of the suffering that is in this world. My mom, recently, in the last couple of years, years, her health has, has just spiraled downward and deteriorated considerably. She has a, a host of different autoimmune diseases. And she um, was diagnosed with multiple scler- sclerosis. And she just has a, a difficult, difficult time. It's a constant reminder. It seems every time I talk to her, she's, she's talking about how her, her immune system is just flaring up. And it's so painful and it's difficult for her. Suffering is a part of this world, is it not? Suffering is something that we all endure. It's it's touched every single one of our lives. We've been praying for my brother. We've been praying for my mom. They still have not experienced healing. This morning, in fact, I was preparing for this message and my boy, my three-year-old, starts coughing. Hock it up a lung last night as I'm like studying over this message. He's asleep and he just starts coughing like crazy. I go in there and I start praying for him and I start asking the Lord would heal him. He wakes up and he's still coughing and I am pray for him this morning and he was still coughing when I left. And you guys know there's a sickness going around. And so sometimes God doesn't answer prayer for healing. Suffering is a part of this world. It's touched every single one of us. But but sometimes God actually does answer the prayer for healing. I've had multiple experiences where I've prayed for people. And the people have come back and say, Pastor Tyler, your prayer worked. And they said, "Yeah, you know, my cold went away or everything's better. I've heard testimonies, eyewitness accounts and testimonies of people's lives. Who they're pray- were prayed for and their test results came back clean. The doctors are saying this is a miracle. Um, I've, I've heard eyewitness accounts of, of people praying for people and their, their sight being restored. And the paralyzed being able to walk. I mean, it's incredible. There are times. When God does not answer a prayer for healing, but there are times that God does answer prayer for healing. Amen? Amen. We live in this moment where there's this struggle, where suffering is a part of our day to day lives, and it can be so, so discouraging, but we do know that our God is able to heal. And this morning, What we are going to look at is we are going to consider this topic about healing. And the reason why is because the sermon that Peter is preaching, the context of his sermon, is an explanation of the first miracle ever recorded in the book of Acts. This healing of this lame man at the gate of beautiful who who Peter said, get up and walk. And he got up and walked. This is the first miracle recorded that happens in the early church. And then Peter goes on in this sermon explaining the context and the content Of this miracle But I understand that as we begin to talk about healing That this subject can divide the room There can be groups of us that are excited about this subject They're like, yeah, praise God, finally, it's the Pentecostal in you You're like, yes, finally, Pastor Tyler, one of the pastors They're talking about healing, let's go, let's pray for it Let's see what God does But there's other of us that are actually very skeptical Doubtful about the topic of healing. Does God really heal today? Is he going to answer this prayer? Maybe this person, the skeptical one, has prayed for healing many, many times, only to be disappointed because God has not healed. So there's a skepticism. There's a doubt that fills your mind when we talk about the topic of healing. There are others in this room that may just be absolutely offended by the subject. Because this world, there is so much suffering. And your life has been touched and marked by disease and death. The test results have come back and they have not been good. And you're offended. There's offense at the thought that the God, if you're mighty and you're powerful and you're able to heal, then why have you not healed? Why didn't you heal my spouse or my child or me in my condition? And to be honest, if you could be honest with God for a moment, the subject of healing can offend you. Healing, it can be a touchy subject, but nonetheless, it's exactly what we come across here in Acts chapter 3. We see that there is a miraculous healing that occurs and Peter goes on to talk about this healing. It is the content of Peter's sermon. And so what we're going to do today as we look at this topic of healing, as we look at Peter's sermon, we're going to divide our time into three ways. First, we are going to look at the source of this miracle or the source of the healing in verse 11. Second, we're going to look at the sign in the miracle from verses 17 to 19. And lastly, we're going to end by looking at the significance of the miracle. And for those of you that are either skeptical or doubtful about healing, or you find yourself offended about the idea about healing, I just want to encourage you, would you just stick with us for a little bit this morning? My prayer is that you would leave this place encouraged and filled with hope and almost wonder at who our God is. But first, let's consider the source of the miracle. The source of the miracle. What's interesting to note is that the response of the people who witnessed the miracle was wonder. Everyone say wonder. They were surprised that this man who is lame for over 40 years, we find out in Acts 4, he was lame for over 40 years. Now he is leaping for joy and he's worshiping God. They did not expect this sort of power to continue in the ministry of the apostles. And so Peter actually begins this sermon with a question. He says, why do you wonder? Now, it's important to note that the Jewish people, they were actually accustomed to and they held a worldview that strongly provided a framework for the supernatural. This group of people, the Jewish people, they were a people who at this moment, they're caught in wonder, but they were a people that were at the temple where they believed that the manifest glory of God would enter into the Holy of Holies. They were a people who, who didn't just think that these stories of old were stories. No, they really truly believed that God parted the Red Sea, like this supernatural event where the sea parted and they walked across some dry land. They were a people that held closely to, to these accounts Of God moving in miraculous ways. Of a God who would provide supernatural food and water in a desert. For a God who would send prophets with divine messages. That would often accompany those messages with divine healing and miracles. The Jewish people were a people with the world view that considered it fact. To believe that God appeared to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and then Moses in a burning bush. They wouldn't have been filled with the skepticism and the doubt that we are filled with when we consider the supernatural and the miraculous today. No, that was a worldview. They came from a worldview where they actually expected it. They had an incredible framework for considering the supernatural. In fact, we have reason to believe that it was customary for Jewish rulers and other mystics and different diviners in that time to cast out demons and to attempt to heal the sick. Do you remember later on in the book of Acts when, when Paul is going and he's casting out demons and he's healing. And then there's this group of other people that tried the same thing. And we find out that this was actually quite normal for others to try to do this. They had a framework for considering the supernatural and for considering the miraculous. Yet they were filled with wonder. They did not expect the miraculous and the supernatural, to come through or be by the hands of the apostles. And as we consider this miracle, I cannot help but place ourselves in the shoes of this Jewish audience that Peter is addressing. Would we have a similar response? If God manifested presence in this room today and someone was healed, Would we just be filled with complete shock and surprise? Would it just catch us like we were totally unexpected to show up to church on a Sunday morning where the power of God is promised to be in our midst and someone is healed? Would we be totally in shock and in wonder? I think that many of us would. It would catch us by absolute surprise. Although the Jewish worldview provides a framework for the supernatural, our American worldview is incredibly resistant to the supernatural and the miraculous. John Wimber, who is the kind of the leader of the Vineyard Movement. He actually was around in the Calvary Chapel Movement for quite some time. In his book, Power Encounter, he spends a few chapters dissecting how our Western worldview acts as a barrier from experiencing the supernatural. Referring to the American secular worldview, Wimber says this. He says, the assumption of secular minds is that we live in a material universe closed off from divine intervention. In which truth is arrived at only through empirical means and rational thought. He goes on to say, secularists employ rationalism to explain away the supernatural. In other words, if we can't see it. If we can't measure it or find a logical reason to explain it, then it is not real and it doesn't exist. This is the worldview that we come from. This is a worldview that has infiltrated the church today, the American church. That is why it is so difficult for us to approach the topic of the supernatural and the miraculous and healing today. I mean, we actually see this demonstrated really well in the show Spider-Man. How many of you like Spider-Man? Okay. Okay. Like, listen, my boy, he's three years old, and he loves Spidey-Man right now. He is obsessed. He wears a Spidey-Man costume. He's got a Spidey-Man backpack, Spidey-Man shirt, Spidey-Man crocs, Spidey-Man hat, (laughs) Spider-Man watch. He just had his third birthday. He is spidey out. All right. And listen, he can't wear, like, he can't watch like the adult kind of Spider-Man versions. But there is this thing called Spidey and Friends now. Absolutely obsessed. And then we watched a few episodes of like the 2000 version of the show. Anyone remember that one of Spider-Man? It was pretty epic. I was like, this storyline is rad. I'm like watching it with my kid. My wife's making fun of me because I'm like so locked into it. But you know what's interesting about this? It's a beautiful picture and metaphor for this kind of worldview, this American worldview that we have. Because Spider-Man, here he is. He has this supernatural ability, right? To like he has supernatural strength, it says in the show, because a spider can like lift like 10 times its weight. So Spider-Man can do that. and, And he can like, you know, he's got the whole web thing and all this stuff, right? But that entire show is based on this idea that there was a bunch of mad scientists who were messing with genetic mutations. There's all this, in other words, there's all this matter. And there's this scientific reason to explain Spider-Man's supernatural strength and ability. The, the, The whole idea of the show is that it's not actually supernatural. That it was science that led to this place. To where all these different creatures and goblin and all these different guys have these different genetic mutations. Because scientists were messing and explaining and measuring and looking at all these things in a laboratory and it got out and infected a lot of people. You see, that idea at the heartbeat of Spider-Man is the same idea that many of us approach the supernatural and the miraculous. We look at it, we hear stories about it, and we second guess that maybe behind the scenes there's actually a rational or scientific reasoning that we can explain, measure, or make sense of as a framework to look at the supernatural and the miraculous. Are you following This is the worldview that we've adopted. This is the worldview that we find within the church. And so we pray for someone with a fever and the fever doesn't go away right away. But the fever goes away two days later. And instead of saying, giving God glory and saying, thank you, God, for healing my daughter. Thank you for healing my son. Thank you that the fever went away. We're like, oh, it just ran its course. You know, we're so quick. We're quicker. The point is we're quicker to reason the explanation rather than just praising God. That he was working and that our child or our friend or ourselves is now well. That's what we're quicker to do. Yet at the same time, at the same time, a Christian worldview, the worldview of Jesus, assumes that the immaterial world that we call the supernatural, the immaterial world is just as real as the material world. The worldview of Jesus was a worldview that understood that there was demonic principalities and powers, that there were angelic principalities and powers. He had an understanding of the immaterial world that cannot be measured or explained or observed in natural human eyes. He had a worldview that that immaterial world is just as real as the material world that we walk and that we breathe in. You see, the Christian worldview. The gospel is a message where we believe that an immaterial God works in ways that we that go beyond the laws of nature. The Bible is a supernatural record filled with supernatural events that many in our current worldview consider to be offensive. And so that's why everyone's writing off creationism. And the story of the flood and these different miraculous things trying to explain everything and write things off. Because it is difficult for us to understand that there is an immaterial world and an immaterial force named God who is greater than anything else. And that there are other immaterial forces that want to steal, kill, and destroy. Yet the Bible is a message, the Christian message, the gospel is a message of an immaterial God. Who put on human flesh, an immaterial God who entered into a material world, suffered and died and was raised to life from the dead and ascended into heaven. Can't fully explain that one. We can look at the evidence. I'm all for the apologists that find the evidence and we can look at that. But there is always an aspect that is beyond our understanding because God is beyond our understanding and we are just finite material human beings. Nevertheless, when the immaterial world and the material world collide, we call it a supernatural event or a miracle and we wonder at it. We're surprised rather than expectant. Just like this Jewish audience. And so in this account, we often resemble the wondering Jews more so than we resemble the faith-filled Peter who's praying for healing. We're stuck there just in awe and just kind of like, what in the world just happened? Just like this Jewish audience is here. Now, their reason, again, for their wonder wasn't so much that there was supernatural healing, but that the healing was done through Christian leaders. Tim Keller, contrasting the Greek and Jewish cultures, says this. He says... The Jewish culture, on the other hand, puts its highest value on something entirely different than the Greek cultures, which Paul describes with three synonyms. Miraculous signs, power, and strength. That's what the Jews were all about. Miraculous signs, power, and strength. They were incredibly mystic people. So here we find all of these values on display. Miraculous signs, power, and strength. So to that, Peter responds, why do you stare at us as though by our own power, we have made him walk? The Jews, they were obsessed with power and they were attracted by the power displayed in this miracle. But what marveled them is that this power that was done was done through an ordinary fisherman from a small coastal village of Capernaum. This is what marveled and surprised the Jews. It wasn't that it was a supernatural event or miracle, but that it was done through Christian leaders who are all about a meek and humble Jesus who died for the sins of the world, okay? That was not their idea of power. And that this miracle, this supernatural event, wasn't done by this great rabbi, but was accomplished through an ordinary rabbinical school dropout Fishermen from Capernaum, from a village. This is what made them marvel. We marvel for a different reason. But this is what made them marvel here. They were surprised that such power was coming through the hands of the people of the church. This is why Peter is so quick to identify that he was not the source of the miracle. But that Jesus was the source of the miracle. Notice what he says about Jesus in these verses. He says the same Jesus who they handed over to Pilate who they denied and who they killed. The same Jesus is the source of this healing. Pete Lee rightly links Jesus to notice there, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He identifies Jesus as the glorified servant of God, the holy, the righteous one, and the author of life, who God raised from the dead. He links Jesus to the God of their fathers. The one who they knew was mighty, Yahweh, the covenant keeping God who is powerful and mighty. They say that God and Jesus is the same. It's the same God. It is the same Jesus. This Jesus who you denied, who you handed over and you who you killed. This Jesus, Peter's saying, we are witnesses and we have seen him. He goes on to say there in verse 16 that it is faith. Faith that is through Jesus, who has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, it's important to note because those in this audience that would have heard, that would have seen this miracle that Peter was actually talking to, those that were in attendance there, they would have heard about the miraculous ministry of Jesus. They were obsessed with miraculous. They were obsessed with healing and power. And Jesus did a lot of it in a short period of time. In the three and a half years after his baptism and between that time and his crucifixion. There was a lot of healing that Jesus did. There was a lot of miraculous signs that Jesus accomplished. And so those in attendance would have heard about this, this Jesus who would raised Lazarus from the dead. They would have heard about this Jesus who made the man by the pool of Bethesda. Walk. They would have heard about this Jesus who healed the lepers, who set the demonized free, who provided all this food for over 5,000 people. They would have heard these stories. This would have only happened between this right here in Acts chapter 3 and the crucifixion of Jesus was just a couple months time span. This was still very fresh for the people. It was a, a time where, the, where, where, where Jerusalem was buzz. With incredible events in which God was working in powerful ways through his son, Jesus. And Peter is making an incredible statement here. He's linking that Jesus who they knew. That Jesus who they saw be crucified, buried. Who they heard rose again from the grave. That that Jesus is the Jesus of the Old Testament. He is the Jesus who created the heavens and the earth, who split the Red Sea, that he is the same God. They would have understood exactly what he's talking about. They would have understood this Jesus that he's referring to. And what he's saying is that same Jesus who wasn't with them there was still working in miraculous ways, not in his physical body there in Jerusalem, but through the body of the church through the body, through the life of ordinary people. Peter's saying that the same healing ministry continues through the church. And so my question today to us, to our church, is do we believe that? Do we believe that the healing ministry of Jesus is an ongoing ministry today? That God is able in his power and in his sovereignty to heal people today. Do we believe it? A couple weeks ago, we looked at the mission of God. Do you remember? We looked at the mission of God, and the mission of God was to bless the world. Remember that? To bless and to multiply. We saw this a couple of weeks ago. Then we looked at the Great Commission, and we focus in on Matthew's account to make disciples of all nations. But the Gospel of Mark has their own account of the Great Commission. Let's read it. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we read that the healing ministry is actually commissioned by Jesus and given to the disciples and to the church. We read in verse 15 of Mark 16, it says, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Then he says this, verse 17. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. This is what Jesus commissions to the disciples. It's right in line with the mission of God that we saw that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. That God desires to bless the world. That God has a plan to restore and renew the world. He's extending this commission, the healing ministry of Jesus, to the disciples. In fact, this healing ministry of Jesus, this account in Mark chapter 16. It seems to reflect what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Do you remember that account in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus is sending out the 72? He says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So there's this link between the message and the words of God and then the works of God, meaning healing that confirm the message. According to Jesus, the disciples were to lay their hands on the sick and that the sick will recover. So the healing ministry is commissioned to the disciples into the church. Then it continues. We see next time we're in Acts chapter 4. We'll see this. Acts chapter 4 verse 29. We see that because of this event, because this lame man at the gate of beautiful was healed... And Peter goes on and he links it all to, 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 to God the Father. And it, it makes the Jewish people really upset. And so Peter's thrown into jail. Peter and John are thrown into jail. And while they're in jail, this is what the church is praying for Peter and for the rest of them. They say, now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Notice they're praying not for themselves. The church here with now over 5,000 people. And they are praying for themselves, that God would give them boldness to preach the word, to preach the gospel, and that God would give them power to heal the sick. Now, notice that this power, the source of the power is not them, but the source of the power is your holy servant, Jesus, through his name of the holy servant, Jesus. But they are praying here. They are praying for this power. Then it goes on and it continues all through the books of Acts. We see that the healing ministry continues on through Philip. Philip, who was not an apostle. Some say today that the healing ministry of Jesus just stopped with the apostles. But that doesn't make much sense when we consider the life of Philip. Philip was not an apostle. And we read this in Acts chapter 8, verse 7 to 8. That when Philip goes into Samaria, he begins to preach the gospel. And then we read in verse 7. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them and many who were Paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. I love that. It left them with joy in the city, just like this lame man in the Gate of Beautiful is leaping and worshiping God with joy. But Philip, he goes into Samaria. He preaches the gospel. And the material world and the immaterial world collides into the supernatural. The paralyzed are healed. The lame walks in. There was much joy. Similar accounts happen to Stephen, who is not apostle. Paul and to Barnabas. There is great debate once again that these gifts are not for today. But what many then failed to realize is that this was an ongoing healing ministry through multiple individuals in the church. And many failed to realize... That there is records in almost every single century. There are historical records in every single century since the resurrection of Jesus. Of supernatural miraculous healing. Let me show some of them to you. It's so cool. I love to geek out on this stuff. Justin Martyr, who was a pagan, converted to Christianity, became an incredible philosopher. He, in the post-apostolic world, in 150 A.D., A- 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 he says this. Many of our Christian men, notice this, just Christian men, ordinary fishermen, Christian men, okay... Are exercising demoniacs in the name of Jesus Christ, who is crucified under Pontius Pilate, have healed and do heal, rendering helpless in driving the possessing devils out of the men. Now, Justin Martyr, why this was so important for him and the next guy that we see, Iranius, is because there was this, there was this. Um, false teaching going around in that time of Gnosticism. Do you remember learning about Gnosticism a little bit? It's this false teaching that the material world isn't that important, that our bodies aren't that important, that we need to just kind of elevate out of our bodies into this like intellectual mind thing. And so he's saying, no, that, that that's not the case. The material world is incredible, incredibly important. He's using this as an apologetic to say, God is so concerned about the body and suffering and everything that people are enduring. He's so concerned about it that he's healing people okay so martyr, martyr here, Justin Martyr, he's referring to both healing and demonic deliverance being exercised through ordinary Christian men. Then we have Iranius. Iranius was taught and discipled by Polycarp, who was directly discipled by the Apostle John, okay? The dearly beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, John. John discipled Polycarp, Polycarp discipled Arrhenius. And we read this at the healing ministry. It continues on in the second and third century. Arrhenius says, Others still heal the sick by laying their hands upon them. And they are made whole. Yea, moreover, as I have said we're last part the dead even have been raised up and remained among us for many years. So historical records, historical accounts, and these weren't weirdos from the early church. These were people who were incredible incredible Christian leaders, early church fathers who died for their faith and made a stand for the gospel of Jesus. We see Augustine, okay? We're in like 4th and 5th century now. Augustine, early church father. Augustine, who we get most of, so much of our doctrine has been influenced by the work of Augustine. Augustine records all these different healings in his books. Then we even see Martin Luther, The leader of the great reformation that the healing ministry of Jesus is recorded then. Martin Luther says this in his book, Letters of Spiritual Counsel. He says, speaking of this affliction, it must rather be an affliction that comes from the devil. And this must be counteracted by the power of Christ with the prayer of faith. This is what we do and what we have been accustomed to do. Accustomed to do. Okay. For a cabinet maker here was similarly afflicted with madness. And we cured him by prayer in Christ's name. Now there, he wasn't so much talking about like healing of illness and disease. He was specifically talking about demonic affliction in which this this person needed deliverance of. But the idea is the same. The idea is the same that God is deeply concerned with the lives of suffering people. That there are moments in time where God sees it fit to extend and manifest his power in a way in which ordinary people who are suffering... Jesus draws near to, and he shows off, he demonstrates his power, and people experience healing. God blessing people, restoring people. So what we're considering is that the healing ministry of Jesus continues on today. That Jesus is the source of healing, is the source of power. That there are times and situations where Jesus seems it fit to manifest his presence and power in the healing. And this is important to note, that he desires to do it in partnership with humanity. Remember that we talked about a couple weeks ago in the mission of God? That he gave it to Adam and Eve and then all through humanity because he wants a partner with humanity to bless the world. Do you guys remember that one? Yeah? Well, how do we partner with God in the healing ministry of Jesus? It's by faith. Now, faith isn't this crazy thing where we need a lot and a lot and a lot of faith. No, the object of our faith is Jesus. He's the source of our faith even. And he persuades us, yes, I desire to do this in this moment. And Jesus said, even the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. Because it's not about our faith, it's about who our faith is in. But faith is the way that we partner with God to see his healing ministry continue here in the right now, in the present. Certainly, this is an important part of the miracles in Peter's sermon. That Jesus is the source of healing and that this healing ministry is continuing. The words of Jesus, his gospel, and the works of Jesus, his miracle, are ongoing for the glory of Jesus and the good of the world. So we've looked at the source of this miracle, that is Jesus. But now let's consider what this specific miracle means. Let's consider the sign in the miracle. The sign in the miracle. If you would, continue with me in verse 17. Verse 17, we read, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer he thus fulfilled repent everyone say repent repent, repent therefore and turn back that your sin, your sins may be blotted out okay this is kind of cool because in acts chapter 4 uh, luke actually records that this miracle that's recorded here in acts chapter 3 is a sign okay now this is kind of an interesting little caveat here when it comes to signs and wonders and miracles Peter or Luke records that this is a sign in Acts in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter two, we, re, we read that there was actually many miracles that were being done in Acts chapter two. So why aren't those miracles recorded as the first miracle? Why is this miracle recorded as the first miracle? Because there is something that that God. or, Or that Luke inspired by the Holy Spirit that God wants to get across to us of what this miracle means. Let me explain it this way. Oftentimes we see throughout the gospel accounts that a miracle or supernatural event is also a parable for a truth that Jesus is expressing to his people. In the gospel of John, there are what we call seven signs. Everyone say signs. Water turning into wine. Healing the centurion's son, healing the paralytic, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, and so on. Seven different signs. And all of these signs or miracles were done to demonstrate God's power, but also to demonstrate God's truth. These signs were reflective of the signs of the prophets in the Old Testament. Do you remember when the prophets of the Old Testament would do some crazy sign that would further the idea or the message that they were getting across? Well, Jesus did the similar thing in his ministry where some of the signs and the miracles that he did, there was actually an inward understanding. There was an inward parable. There was also a deeper truth that Jesus was trying to get across. We've talked about before, it was maybe... Maybe a year ago, we talked about that miracle of water into wine. How, yes, water into wine was a picture. It was a miracle. It was also a picture of how the blood of Jesus would bring us joy. It was also a prophetic picture of the end of the age where we're going to be feasting at the wedding supper of the lamb, drinking the best wine and eating the best food with King Jesus. Okay. So these parables or these sorry, these miracles or these signs in the ministry of Jesus were actually parabolic in form to demonstrate and to explain a truth of who God is and what he's going to do. Is everyone following? Yes. The same is true with every single miracle and every single supernatural event and healing. There's a deeper inward truth that Jesus is also trying to communicate. Tim Keller said this, all miracles say go deeper. Look inside and see what you really, really need. So what's the sign here? What's going on? Well, we see that Peter uses this miracle also here as a parable to bridge the gospel to the Jews. Remember, the lame man was ignorant, ignorantly there at the gate of beautiful. And what was he asking for? He was asking for alms or money, right? He was asking for money. And so Peter responds this. He says, silver and gold. I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. So the man was searching for one thing to bring satisfaction and relief, only to discover that what Peter was offering was better than he ever expected. He was looking for one thing, but what Peter had was even better. Money had the power to help his condition, but what Jesus offers, it was is what could heal and change his condition. Just like that man, the Jews were looking for something to bring for them relief. The Jews, they were looking for a political Messiah who would come with power and strength and free them from the oppression of Rome. That's what they were looking for. But what God provided was a suffering Messiah who would offer freedom, not from the oppression of Rome, but the oppression of sin. Like the lame man, the Jews were looking for one thing, but God would, blot, would, would send Jesus to blot out their transgressions to give them something even better. All they needed to do was to turn and to look at Jesus, to repent and believe so that true times of refreshing would come. They thought times of refreshing would come through a powerful political Messiah. So they didn't even care to consider Jesus because Jesus was crucified. What kind of power is that? The Jews thought. But that's exactly what they needed. So there's this sign. There's this idea. There's this parable. There's this truth that this miracle is showing. To look deeper, to look inside. Hey, Jews, you were looking for one thing, but you totally missed out on the greater thing. The one who can change your life, his name is Jesus. And he will plot out all your transgressions. And guess what? We do the same exact thing. It's not that we're looking for a political messiah, even though some might. They're putting their faith in, in some kind of office and political leader that's going to fill in a spot. And saying that's what's going to bring us relief. Some go there. But we do the same thing. We look for silver and gold. We look for the next relationship. We look for a better house. We look for the right person in office. We look for double the salary. A new house, a new spouse, move across the country, a new job. We search and we long for something deep inside, thinking that that is what's going to find relief. Doubtful that Jesus is the one who can. We settle for silver and gold and ask for silver and gold all the time. Even healing itself, although, and we're going to continue to see that Jesus desires to heal. Healing is not the end of it all. The lame man here was asking for money. That wasn't really what was going to satisfy his deepest desire. Peter ended up healing him physically. But how many people that knew how to walk, this man didn't, how many walking people were just as... Sad and bummed out and depressed and lonely and hurting and longing for something more as that lame man. Many. So the miracles say, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. God, yes, there are moments where it will manifest his presence because, the, because healing is a confrontation with suffering. That he desires to stop. But it also says to go deeper. What we're looking for is something even greater. That's why people can stay in a terminal illness their entire life. People can stay crippled. People can stay in in a place of suffering. And they can be the happiest, most joyful, greatest witnesses of Jesus. Because they haven't been looking for silver and gold. They found Jesus and the presence of God has been sustaining them. They got what's the greatest. Amen? The miracles can say go deeper. It says go deeper for each and every one of us. Is there someone in this room today that does not have a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe Jesus is an add-on to your life. Maybe you're dragged into church this morning. And you've been looking for the new job. You've been looking for the perfect relationship. You've been looking maybe even for your health to be restored. You've been looking for something that if only I got that, then I'd be there. No, what the sign in this miracle is that the greatest thing that you're looking for is found in Jesus. Jesus is the one who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. In Jesus, true refreshing comes. Everything that we look for for refreshing will make us thirsty again. But Jesus is the living water who we can come to and we can drink from and who can refresh us for eternity. Are you following with me? So we've seen the source of this miracle. Jesus is the source of this miracle. His ministry is ongoing today. It's true. He can. He's able to. We've then looked at now what this miracle means. That even the miracle in itself tells us to go deeper. That Jesus is the one. Relationship with Jesus is the way where we experience true satisfaction. But now let's consider in closing the significance of this miracle. The significance of this miracle. What does this mean for us that the healing ministry of Jesus continues? Why was this so significant? Why was healing such a repetitive pattern in the ministry of Jesus? Well, the answer to that lies in the remainder of Peter's message. Let's pick up in verse 19 again. Verse 19, we read, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that may he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring. Everyone say restoring. restoring. For restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God... Will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken, from Samuel and those who came after him, also proclaim these days You are the sons of the prophets, and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Here in the remainder of Peter's sermon, we see that Peter quotes Deuteronomy, 1 Samuel, and the book of Genesis. He's looking backward toward the law and the prophets to actually point us forward to where there will be a time of the restoration of all things. You see, the cross and the resurrection is not the end of the story. It is the climax of the story, but it is not the end of the story. No, the suffering Messiah is both prophet and king who will go to prepare a place For us, and bring that place, his kingdom, from heaven back down to earth. The king will return to set all things right. It's the suffering Messiah, according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. It is he who is seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What's Peter getting at here at the remainder of his story? He's looking backward at the Jews for the Jews to look at the law and the prophets. Genesis, Moses, all the prophets to say all of them prophesied of a time where there would be a Messiah. There were to be a king who would come back, who would rule and reign with the kingdom where lion and child could lay down, where you'll wipe away every single tear from every eye, where he will set all things into right order. He's saying the way into that kingdom. Is through Jesus. The way into that kingdom, that king is Jesus. This Jesus who you denied, if you continue denying him, Peter is saying, you will perish. But if you choose to listen to him, you will be blessed by God himself, refreshed in his presence and experience the restoration of all things. And you see, this is exactly what the healing ministry of Jesus was all about and is all about. When Jesus, in his sovereign will, decides and determines to manifest his presence and heal someone who is suffering from illness, that healing is a glimpse of what is to come. It is a present reality of a future reality. Of a time where Jesus is going to restore all things back into its original state back into an Eden state where there is no death where there is no disease where there is no division where there is no hatred where there is no murder where there is no strife we are waiting now for a time when Jesus is going to come and restore all things healing and the now is a glimpse of what is to come what is to come It's a time where Jesus will make everything right again. Everything right again. So what is healing? Healing then is a direct confrontation of the suffering that is in this world. You see, it was both sin and suffering. It's both sin and suffering that's a result of the fall. Sin, our disobedience, the flesh that wars within us, that Jesus... Bore on the cross that we might be forgiven and set free. But at the cross, Jesus not only bore our sin. He also bore suffering. The most excruciating suffering. The most intense spiritual suffering. Emotional and mental agony that we see from the garden to the cross. Jesus also bore our suffering for us. You see, it's different than any other worldview when it comes to suffering and evil. Many, many, many people trip over suffering and evil as they're trying to follow Jesus. It becomes a roadblock in their faith. But Jesus is unlike any other worldview, any other religion, any other explanation, any other theory. Jesus is a God who entered into our suffering. That understands our suffering that enters into your suffering right now as you 're suffering through that divorce as you 're suffering through that illness as you 're suffering through disease. Jesus is an incarnational God who enters into the suffering with us who is compassionate to the suffering, and there are moments out of his compassion and out of his out of his love and out of his power that he sees. It fit to manifest his presence to remove that suffering, to undo that suffering. This is what healing is. A German theologian said this. I think it's pretty brilliant. Jesus' healings are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are, only, they are the only truly natural things in a world that is Unnatural demonized and wounded all of that is a byproduct of a cursed fallen world every healing is an undoing of that it's a picture of the kingdom of god that's here it's not fully here but it's here right jesus says the kingdom of god is among us and it's a picture it's a taste of what is to come In closing, I find it really cool, really interesting that that Peter quotes. um, He quotes Moses there in verse 22. Let's just geek out in the Bible before we respond, okay? In verse 22, Peter quotes Moses and he says, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. You know what's so cool about this? Is that Peter... James and John were all with Jesus on a mountain, where Elijah and Moses actually showed up. Jesus was being transfigured in front of the disciples. The glory of God was popping through the seams of the skin of Jesus. He was manifesting his presence, showing them, giving a glimpse of his glorified presence of what is to come. And as Jesus is being transfigured before Peter, James, and John, as they were getting a sneak peek of his glory and a glimpse of what is to come, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Quoting himself when he said that to Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. What's happening there? Well, healing is similar to the transfiguration. It's a sneak peek of his glory. It is a glimpse of what is to come, a time when suffering and death will be no more. Yes, healing is promised. There is hope. There's hope for my brother. There is hope for my mom. There is hope for many, many of you that are struggling with cancer and different illnesses and diseases. Healing is promised. It will happen in glory. Every single wrong thing will be made right and we will be able to leap and dance in joy in the presence of God. And sometimes he sees it fit to do it right now. He told them in James, anoint the sick with oil, lay hands on them and pray for them. So we're gonna gonna respond by doing that right now to see if God desires to do that in our midst. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, we come before you. We thank you for your power, and we thank you for your glory. We thank you that you sympathize with us and our suffering. God, we repent of a worldview in which we doubt you and the supernatural ways in which you work. Would you help renew our minds, Lord? Would you replace unbelief? With faith. Would you convince us of your power and your glory and your strength? And would you meet us here today? Jesus, we invite your presence. We remember you. We consider you. We think about you. We welcome you here. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.